learning. We've all experienced it, but how does it happen? More importantly, how do we create powerful learning experiences that change people's lives? In this podcast, we'll explore the world of adult career change education, from learning theories to classroom experiences to the kinds of people who make life-changing education possible. So come learn with us. This is the future of professional education, powered by Thrive DX. Hi, folks, and welcome back to the future of professional education. I'm your host, Sean Dagoni-Clark, and as you know, I believe really strongly in the power of transformative education. That's why I do what I do. And so it's always a pleasure to speak with other educators who believe in the same thing and who apply it to any level of learning. And so I've got a guest today who's got some really interesting thoughts about transforming education and who's actually done that very thing. So Dr. Aditya Nagrath is on a mission to change the way the world teaches math. And today we're going to talk about how e-learning has transformed education. We're going to talk about gamification of learning, math anxiety, and how those things influence the company and the app that he co-founded, which is called Elephant Learning Math Academy, which makes an amazing claim that its students progress more than a year in math understanding in just 10 weeks of using the app for 30 minutes a week. So 300 minutes to make over a year of progress in math. So talk about transforming math education. So Aditya, welcome to TFPE. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, yeah, it's a pleasure. So we'll start with e-learning. If we think back to when this whole COVID thing started, a lot of people in the educational world had to really scramble, my company included, because of how different online learning is from a traditional classroom experience. And I think really the only people who didn't have to scramble like that were the ones that were already teaching online. But that wasn't when e-learning started and the, quote, end of COVID won't be the end of e-learning. And so um, we're going to talk about that here. Can we start, though, by defining terms? And can you just give a quick definition of e-learning? Yeah, I define it as anything that's electronic learning. So <clears throat> if you're learning through video online or um, if you're using some sort of software that helps you learn or, um, heck, even if you're using a textbook through an iPad, that's probably e-learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so any electronic learning. Is there, can you point to one like big way that you've seen e-learning change education prior to COVID? I guess there's a lot of systems out there uh, that, that are good for management. Um, meaning like it can keep track of the grades. So like your blackboard, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a lot of impact in that. Like there's a lot of products out there now that you can go after and you can get and it can be an experience that teaches your child. So mm -hmm. just the, you know, plethora of options is the change, right? Like I think when I was growing up, it was just math blasters or something. <laughs> <laughs> I played that too. Yeah. And, and that's where I would have gone. I think if I was, if you asked me that question, the, the management side and the insight, you know, into the progress that someone's making. And I know that's something that's a big part of, uh, of elephant math. Um, what would you say that COVID has taught us about e-learning and has anything changed um, in that world during the experience of, of going through COVID? I'm hoping that the lesson that people are taking across is to use the technology as a tool to help you solve the problem. And that's ultimately what technology has been. I mean, 
I think the challenge is, is from like a societal perspective, when we start to talk about technology, we talk about like full automation and, or at least in our mind, that's what we end up thinking. And the challenge is, is that if you think of it that way, um, <clears throat> it, it introduces problems like, well, should a computer be teaching your child everything they need to know? Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I mean, but that's not in actuality what human beings develop, what human beings end up developing are tools to accomplish goals. Mm -hmm. Now, someone out there is obviously trying to automate this. I mean, the Alex program is out there. There's going to be people trying to do that. But ultimately, where we see like the big growth in productivity, in results, in everything is when we enable the human beings that are trying to accomplish the goal to accomplish the goal. It's a great way to say that. Yeah. All right, let's move into gamification because I know that's a big part of what you're trying to do. And uh, gamification has been an interest in educational circles for quite some time now, well before COVID. And it's not, not in small part because of its implications for motivation and deep learning. But gamification, uh, as you know, can be a bit of an abstract concept because of just the wide variety of ways that you can potentially conceive of gamifying an experience. So again, let's start with the definition. Can you just tell us what gamification means to you? Yeah, it's taking something and, and turning it into a game. And typically you're doing that by taking the pieces of a game, like keeping score, putting together some sort of rules around it. And um, uh, those, those aspects of the game to then motivate uh, someone to be accomplishing something in a direction that's more towards, um, I guess, what you want. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically for mathematics, it, what we're trying to do is we're actually trying to gamify mathematics. So in the end, the end result would be that children walk away feeling like math is a game. Mm -hmm. Which leads to the motivation part of it, too. Um, why is, and, and I think you partly answered this, but why is gamification useful and in a learning experience? Well, so, like, the first thing that's really important uh, about gamification is it, it starts to really kind of take away some of the consequences or spell out what are the consequences for wrong. You know what I mean? Mm. So like that's in a theoretical aspect. So like if I'm gamifying inside of a company, well, okay. So in the game, maybe you lose some points and the loss of those points maybe has whatever consequence on a bonus. So it's not like you're getting fired for making a mistake. It's mm -hmm. like here, here's the well-defined rules of the game, mm -hmm. which is what people want really out of work anyway. Um, <laughs> but like in math, right, very specifically, is it's, it's the gateway to taking away the quote-unquote wrong from answering incorrectly. Mm -hmm. And so, like, if we can start to develop healthy patterns around the game, then we can start to develop healthy patterns around learning in life. I like that, yeah. Yeah, reducing the consequences, because there's... And, and I think this will get to some of the stuff we'll talk about with math anxiety, but the consequences for being wrong is such a big part of that. Um, and, and like you said, it's not just in learning, it's in life. Um, reducing those consequences 
in a learning experience is a really great way to, to help people learn. So um, what would you say are some really effective elements of gamification? And is there anything that you would always want to have in any gamified learning experience? Well, I mean, yeah, the, you got to have the score. You got to have the rules of the game. You got to have something maintain the rules of the game. <clears throat> if you don't have those things, you don't have a game. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> um, and then one more question on gamification. Does it have to happen online or in e-learning? So with, if we have a traditional classroom teacher listening right now, what would they be able to take away from this and use in their classroom? I mean, they gamify all the time. I just, uh, I just think we got to relate the word to them. So like whenever you turn something into a game, like, hey, we're going to play war with flashcards. That's a gamification. Mm hmm. Okay. <laughs> so take it further is kind of the advice there. Um, all right. So one of the things that, uh, that gamification can do is to reduce anxiety, like I just mentioned, by making learning feel like play. And at Thrive DX, our adult learners definitely feel some of the same kinds of anxiety that kids feel. And, and one thing that we talk a lot with our learners about is the notion of imposter syndrome, which is that feeling that we get when we haven't, that, that we've not learned enough or we're not good enough or we're not smart enough to succeed or to get the job. And for anyone who's listening who's old enough to remember, it's sort of the reverse of those Stuart Smalley daily affirmations from Saturday Night Live back in the 90s. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. It's the reverse of that. But um, what I'm interested in is that one of the purposes of elephant learning is to really combat something similar to, uh, to imposter syndrome, which is math anxiety. So what got you thinking about math anxiety as a problem that needed to be solved? Well, so our mission is to empower children with mathematics and you can't be empowered with mathematics if at the same time you're experiencing anxiety around it. Was that, was there anything like in your history, yourself, others that you know that, that got you thinking about empowering kids with mathematics or was it more of just like, this is something that the world needs? Well, okay. So, I mean, I've got a PhD in mathematics. I've done kind of mathematics all my life. Mm. I, I also have to some sort of degree, some math anxiety, whenever some like math problem might come up. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if it's an anxiety or a laziness or whatever, <laughs> but like, you know, I, I wasn't always good at math. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, I was failing or anything, but I remember like in third grade, I was getting extra help or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that we're just talking about ideas. So like, if you're afraid of ideas, I don't know, that's not an empowered hard state. To learn, yeah. <laughs> but like, I mean, mathematics as a tool is extremely powerful. So like, I mean, I may not have known it like as I was doing it, but like some of the stuff I was working on in grad school makes some of the stuff that I'm working on in digital marketing remedial. You know what I mean? Like it's, like, well, I've done stuff way more complicated than this. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is just kind of surface level mathematics. And that's the thing is that like, these ideas show up all over the world. And what we're really doing is we're just labeling them so that you as a human being can identify them when they are appearing in the world. And then you have a tool from which you can work and think about those ideas. These are naturally occurring ideas. Um, but ultimately speaking, the reason why we, we started this mission to empower children with mathematics is it was me and a, another professor from the University of Denver. And 
Um, basically, we had all of this research done. Um, I think it was funded partly by the National Science Foundation, funded partly by the Toyota Foundation. Mm -hmm. And it basically said that um, at the kindergarten level, uh, children uh, did not understand the counting to 10 requirement. Mm -hmm. So it's like, ultimately, the requirement was not understood by the parents. But like, the counting to 10 requirement by kindergarten was slide over 10 things and stopping on 10. And at that time, when I was speaking with this professor, my, my thought of it was saying the numbers one through 10, which is what he confirmed most parents believe counting to 10 to be. But as you can see, there's a very fundamental difference in that in one case, I could just be saying it out loud. You know, I got a five-year-old at that time, I had a zero-year-old, but I've been around children. I knew that like, yeah, I mean, in like children will parrot what you say without knowing what it means. Mm -hmm. Why not? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, so like, I mean, just saying it is not enough. In this case, they mean understanding it. Mm -hmm. And so like, without that understanding, the kindergarten curriculum is actually starting at counting to 20. And this gap in understanding actually, actually exacerbates over time, it becomes wider. And in fact, the second piece of data that he showed me basically showed that the percentile at which you enter the education system, that's the percentile at which you exit the, inter, uh, the education system. And it turned out that mm. those children that actually understood the teacher coming in, understood the teacher going out, mm. right? So like, mm. if you don't understand the teacher, then the education system is not very effective. And again, I mean, mathematicians and philosophers don't need a lot of fancy research to tell you that would be true, mm -hmm. but we do have the research to back it up. So like the idea then is one, can we fill that gap in understanding? But two, can we cause the anxiety? Can we fill, I don't know like how to say this exactly, but can we remove the anxiety that's caused because of that gap? Mm -hmm. and, and deal, yeah, and deal with the lack of understanding without it being something that someone's afraid to to show or to they kind of go with. hand in hand the yeah. more you understand it the less you're afraid of it because the more you see it as a common day common everyday experience right no but i mean if you're able to remove the anxiety somewhat the lack of understanding is still there but now it's less threatening and so that makes it more possible for someone to learn and progress yeah absolutely it, yeah. i mean that's the thing is they like you said hand in hand um but like the as you increase understanding, anxiety also naturally comes down. I think that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. I'm I'm sure they're they're very related. Um, what what do you see? Like, what what signs would tell you that someone has math anxiety? How does it how does it manifest in say in a in a child? They're not going to want to do it first of all, right? Okay. And they're going to do <laughs> anything they can to not do it. It could be include crying. It can cry. Include yelling. It can. They're going to be emotional, right? And that's ultimately what the thing is. It's like they're using the word anxiety. Yeah. But in reality, it's I'm emotional about a mathematics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a great point. And, and that's why I wanted to ask the question, because I'm sure if there's yeah. parents listening to this, um, I know my thoughts went right to my, uh, my seven-year-old 
who is um, or, or was demonstrating that exact thing, that that yelling and crying and emotion around doing math. And it made it really, really hard to help her with her with the math that she was taking home. My 11 year old um, had similar struggles with it. And, and it's I think it's really helpful for parents, um, especially for parents to be able to recognize that this is what's happening it's not just that the kid's yelling, it's that there's this underlying cause that we need to deal with. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. It's, the underlying cause is the understanding. Um, so like, right. th and this is exactly the challenge, right? So this gap, they're actually down here. They're pretending to be up here mm -hmm. because that's what's being taught in class. You're explaining it to them up here, but they're actually down here. Mm -hmm. And now... They're going to become emotional about this. On top of that, they're telling themselves, I can't really do this because I don't know what they're saying. And so like the emotions, the ego right. actually then causes that failure. Like, I'm not going to hear anything you're saying either. I'm just going to start yelling or crying or whatever. Right. And I mean, the way you react around that is actually extremely important. And that's that's where the gamification ties in. So like, how does turning math into a game solve this problem? Well, here's what, I, here's what it is. If my child was having that reaction to basketball, I wouldn't be telling them something like, um, hey, it's not worth it if you're going to cry like that. Mm -hmm. Right? Like we all know that like throwing the ball and having it land in the hoop and it not going in is not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And like developing healthy habits around that from both the parental and the student standpoint then becomes the goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like relating that to the to other areas where the parent would be working with the child and like how would you deal with it in basketball or in some sport or in English? Would you say that it's okay, you don't need to learn to read? <laughs> no, probably not. What what happens if someone doesn't address it or, or doesn't overcome their math anxiety? And, and have you seen that play out in both in what they can learn down the path or in their careers? I mean, we've seen this play out at a national level. Um, these children are told that they should go to college because the only way you're going to get a high paying job is to go to college. And um, so then they take on student debt. A lot of these students will switch out of majors with mathematics either because they believe they don't like it or um, they can't do it or they don't want to do it or they're afraid of it or whatever, right? Like whatever the story is, that's what they're going to tell themselves. So they move to a subject with less mathematics. It used to be business, but business now is so data-driven, mainly because of the digitization of everything, mm. that now even like in marketing classes and in business school, they're having a challenging time getting the concepts across um, mm -hmm. that, that are necessary in order to run a successful business. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and a lot of these students are switching to the humanities where you're going to come out with like an English major or uh, an art degree or a digital art degree or something of that nature. But I mean, in the economy we're in, that was at a lower Mm -hmm. average pay rate so like economically mm -hmm. speaking uh it's a huge impact 
an economic number that we have measured due to mathematics was we have a research article from 2007. It was, um, uh, I think, a policy brief where Congress did a study of some sort, and they figured out that there was 400-some billion dollars or $320 billion of lost lifetime wages from people who did not graduate high school that year. Hmm. And uh, math, uh, middle school mathematics is a predictor of whether you drop out of high school. Hmm. Wow. So yeah. like impact wise, I mean, we're witnessing it. We, we, we look at life like, you know, there's these skills that we need to know, but it's hard to understand that many of those skills branch under the the kingdom of philosophy of mathematics you know what i mean like mm -hmm. if you look at philosophy and the branches of philosophy mathematics is one of them hmm. it's interesting that you say the thing about uh switching out of math majors i when i was in college i decided to go into a computer science degree and part of the reason that i switched out of it and I, just as background, I had placed out of taking calculus because I took the AP and did, did well on it. I went and audited the intro calculus class that I had placed out of, and it was like the, it, the professor was speaking French, and, and I had no idea what was happening in this class and went, oh my God, I can't do this. And that was a big part of the reason that I switched out because that was a requirement. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody feels that uh, at some point. Um, I know other people who have too. So then the million dollar question on this is how does someone overcome math anxiety? Um, and we'll get to your app and, and your company in a second, but in more general terms, what does someone need to do to get past that? I mean, honestly, it's theoretically pretty simple. Like you as a human being, you're going to decide that mathematics is just a jargon and you've learned jargon at every job you've been at so you can learn this jargon and there's nothing special about it mm -hmm. and then committing to actually doing that hmm. okay and then doing it and actually <laughs> doing it it's not a new year's resolution <laughs> yeah um all right so let's let's get to the company that you founded so elephant learning math academy uh i think you said you founded this in 2017 yeah so several years ago uh, to help children learn math. And by children, we're talking about kids, as, as I understand it, as young as two, up through upper-level high school math, I believe. Um, and, and so you've, according to your site, you've had over 100,000 students use the system, which is an incredible number. And so I'm sure you have plenty of data on their progress and, their res and, and results. And so I want to make sure we get to that. But I want to just start with, since you already introduced how you developed elephant learning, um, that amazing result of that year and a half of math progress in 10 weeks, 30 minutes a week, which if you just sort of think about that on its face, it's an incredible claim. Like that is so much faster than a year and a half. And so obviously you wouldn't say that if you couldn't back it up. And so your app actually has that guarantee that your student is going to make that progress. But can you describe the results you've seen and why, why you can make that statement? Yeah, absolutely. Almost immediately when we put this out, we were starting to get testimonials of where parents were coming back and saying they had their four-year-old doing fractions. Um, and literally with the person, because like I couldn't script this, like I love it. 
literally what the person wrote was, I watched with jaws dropped. Me and my wife watched with jaws dropped as our daughter figured out where one third was on the line at four years of age. Wow. So like, I mean, we've, we've seen, I mean, we've seen things as dramatic as that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we've basically, when we're saying on average, they learn a year and a half, we're kind of looking at, you know, uh, groups of data. So like where we have some clean data, mm. but basically, I mean, the way we started out was, um, uh, there was already some sort of program out there. It was a completely different program. It, it was practically dead. It was developed in flash in unity. And like, I mean, 2016, 2017 flash was dead already. Mm -hmm. Um, Heck, I mean, some people watching now might not even remember what Flash is. <laughs> but um, when I asked uh, the professor, like, hey, how much math uh, are children learning in this? And at the time, he only had preschool and kindergarten curriculum in the system. Um, he said, on average, a year of math in three months. Uh, and I said, well, how often are they using it? He said, 10 minutes a day, five days a week in a classroom. But like, so when we started to develop elephant learning, which a you know, brand new product, we realized we're not selling this to the classroom. We're selling this to the parent. Mm -hmm. So number one, like how do we redesign it for that? And number two, um, how do we continue to get those results over time? Because like he only had preschool and kindergarten. And we had to start doing first grade, second grade, et cetera. We now cover through algebra. Mm -hmm. um, and then how do we measure the results? And then how do we guarantee the results? Because mm -hmm. at the end, it was like, what can we guarantee? So in that moment, when I asked him, he said, no, we can't guarantee a year in three months because the average is a year in three months. So like 50% theoretically don't even make it. Right. So I said, okay, fine. Um, but like what I added and what I did just in that moment was I looked at the games and they had a lot of story in them. And um, I looked at it and I said, that's, I mean, that's a lot. Like not really even story. It was like they had these sheep and they run out of a pen and they jump into a bus and they'd either get in the bus or they'd get on the bus. And this thing took like 30 to 45 seconds to run. And I was like, yeah, I'm, getting rid of that <laughs> <laughs> and the professor was like but don't we have to do something to make it fun i said hey man you just gave me research that said that math itself is the game and therefore you got to treat it that way all you have here is a reward system which at the end of the day is a a slot machine that right. the, the sheep either get in the bus or they get on the bus and the children are waiting to see which mm -hmm. so it's like a 30 second anticipation let's give them a two second animation instead and see how that works. And it worked just fine. I mean, they maybe hmm. weren't able to do 10 minutes at that young of an age, maybe six or seven minutes. And that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. Right. We're training their attention span as we're training mm -hmm. their math skills. But, um, if they get tired, if they say they don't want to do it anymore, if they kind of throw it away and look like they're done with it, they should stop. Mm -hmm. No, it makes sense. Um, you mentioned that you go up through algebra. Do you have any plans to move past algebra into even higher levels of math? 
Yeah, so like that's the thing that we're designing now. And the thing is, is that like we're not exactly bound by the curriculum, but at the same time, we kind of are because we got to be able to help the student in the classroom kind of at the high school level. Mm -hmm. But we want to be able to help them also with things that I think would make a difference in their life. So one of the first things that I want to address is probability theory. Um, so mm -hmm. like, you know, going back and ensuring the algebra that we did cover allows us to do that, right? So, you know, when we start with the definition of the terms, so like, I don't mind you doing the definitions, like you said, right? Because we all got to figure out what do we mean? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, that's what mathematics is. Here's the definition. Here's what's true from the definition. Mm -hmm. um, probability theory. We did a course on personal finances. It's already out there. We explored the exponential function, which would be the interest rate. Um, and then we talk about things like cash flow, which, you know, again, if 75% of people just had that vocabulary, um, I mm -hmm. think their finances would be 100% different because they'd stop trying to think about how do I do this stuff? And they'd start thinking about how do I have some positive cash flow so I could put some money in savings? Hmm. And that's a lot easier problem to solve. It's just a subtraction problem. Um, or, hmm. well, a sum. <laughs> and um, we might be adding coding uh, very soon as well. We have enough logic in there, but like we're not gonna approach it like everybody else is the whole thing. Um, this is not a course on syntax or anything like that. It's gonna be a course on, here are the ideas, and now can you put the ideas together to, you know, do something, to accomplish a goal, to build something. Yeah. And the things you mentioned, probability theory, personal finance, cash flow, um, are, are those part of the common core? Like, is that something that a student in high school would expect to learn, or is it because these are things that are just so important for people to know that you feel like, no, we just really need to do this? Well, so it's not common core, but like personal finances, I think is, I mean, it's obviously important. I mean, yeah. it's like if you want to motivate mathematics, I mean, everyone's motivated by money at the end of the day, they got to eat. So yeah, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a, one of my friend's dad when I was young, always used to say that like, oh, they, they got to eat too. That's what he'd say, like wherever we were at. <laughs> yeah. But like, um, yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing, right? Like, I don't know if it's a part of Common Core. I've been reading that there are some personal finances courses coming out in high school, which means that, like, we've seen demand for it, right? So, mm -hmm. like, to some degree, like, how much am I beholden to Common Core? And that's the whole thing is we've never really been beholden to Common Core. Mm -hmm. We've been able to navigate it in such a way that we're able to deliver the results so that the teacher can continue teaching at whatever level they're at. So like what we're really trying to do is we're trying to take a third grader who might have that gap that I described earlier, but be at the first grade level, mm -hmm. but then catch them up in vocabulary enough so that they can understand the teacher in the third grade level and participate in the classroom. And that's what we've been successful at doing. Yeah. It reminds me, I, I did a, a review a couple of years back of a book by Daisy Christodoulou, um, Teachers Versus Tech, which if you've not heard of it, go read this book. It's an amazing book for educators. Um, but one of the big takeaways from that book is the need for teachers to use the technology to supplement what a human can do in the classroom. And it strikes me that this is a perfect example of that. 
Um, you, you've got a platform here where it, it's not meant to replace a teacher. And I think that's always sort of the fear, right, with, with educators that, like, I don't want to get replaced by a computer. But that's not going to work. And, and so what you've created is this thing that supplements what a teacher can do, really digs into what the student knows, figures out what they need next, and then helps the teacher get them there. Um, it, it just feels like it really ties into that message from that book. Can you talk about the methodology behind the experience that students have? So like what learning science went into this? Yeah, so all of the activities have come from what is the latest research in early age education research. So like if you go and you start picking up like the books and the pedagogy on like how they're teaching teachers these days, mm -hmm. you're going to see that they're actually already starting to do that a lot. And that's actually what the shift to Common Core was. So like the parents don't like Common Core very much, mainly because like it feels like you can't help your student many times to them. Hmm. And uh, we're used to more of a how do you do it mentality. And like really what it is is a shift to what is it, right? Because if I could first understand what it is, then how do you do it is not so hard right? The methodology is basically kind of that, what would be called conceptual learning. But what we've done is we've kind of said, actually, what that is, is learning mathematics as a language, because that is what it is. Now, look, hmm. if you're writing a paper for early age education research, you're going to call it conceptual learning. That's a really cool thing to call it. It sounds really cool. But like, yeah, that's the whole thing with 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 what you're trying to do in that situation is you're actually trying to sound smart to your colleagues because your other graduate students, the professors in the department, those people are going to see the paper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So like I, the language of mathematics, that's probably not going to fly as a paper title. And I know that cause I got a PhD. I <laughs> had this. to do some <laughs> of the same for lack of a better term, you know, stuff <laughs> i want to say the other word but it is it is what it Family is show. Right? come on yeah <laughs> what it is at the end of the day is learning mathematics as a language now breaking down to what that actually means and like you got to remember like not only did i read the research of the people who put a lot of thought into this and seen the results that they've come out with but then after that i thought about like but how do we put it in over here in a way that's cost effective that i could sell it to parents and still actually run a thing that's making money in an environment where basically you could go to Khan Academy for free. Right. Right. That's, that's the reality of the situation. If I wanted to make that difference, that's what I had to do. Yeah. And so like at the end of the day, what it boils down to is this. So like when you teach your three-year-old the colors or your two-year-old the colors, what you do is you show them a lot of red things and then you label it as red. This is a red truck. This is a red ball. This is a red car. And they stu start to infer that the color is what you're, what you're talking about. And then pretty soon they're able to label it themselves. That's a red car. Can you get me the red car? They're able to identify it. You can see that they're starting to understand the language. Colors are a little bit challenging be because of that. Like that's a, a kind of a one step. They have to infer that. Mathematics is a little bit harder because they actually have to be thinking that, right? So when we're talking about the quantities and we're having them count, 
they also have to be thinking that he's speaking about the quantity. Hmm. And that's the first kind of leap. And that continues throughout mathematics. When you're talking about addition, you're talking about the idea of more. When you're talking about subtraction, you're talking about the idea of less. And you see this, like, for example, if you watch the leapfrog stuff. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you're just trying to be a good parent, you buy yourself the leapfrog counting on lemonade. I got it for my kid. And they're doing that. You see them elaborating those concepts in that way. And that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to get the child to start thinking about more or less. And ultimately, as the parent, my job is to get them enough language that they could get to kindergarten and understand the teacher. So now my job actually is to get them those ideas and mm -hmm. label them and put words around them. And so if we can shift the parents' understanding and the students' understanding around mathematics to that front, what happens when you understand addition? Well, I mean, one of the hardest things that teachers have to deal with in the first grade classroom could be adding on a clock or teaching the clock. And it's a thing that parents ask for a lot that we just don't do. We don't do it because we teach your child what addition is. When your child understands addition, addition on the clock is not that much harder. You're just wrapping around at 12. It's not that big of a trick. But if you don't understand addition, addition on the clock is impossible. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. So, yeah. So for a student using the app, what is their experience? What do they actually do um, in the app? So they come in, and if they're over five, they start in a placement exam, and the they play a game, and the game is a puzzle. Uh, I describe it like Angry Birds, but like the goal is different. Angry Birds, you got to flick it in our uh, platform. It's to exhibit the math, and as they exhibit the math, we label it with writing down what would be the written math. So it'd be like, give me five things, give me four more things. They click nine. We say five plus four equals nine. They click eight, we say five plus four equals nine, right? So like, so like it's right there and they have to connect it. And um, I, like, I kind of wish we could do more, but like, honestly, we didn't need to. It was already effective at that level. Mm -hmm. And so then the question was, was can we get the parent to fill that last little gap? And we were. And so like mm -hmm. that became the system because it's actually a lot better to have the parent fill the gap at that point in time. Reason being is that the misunderstanding could be anything, and it takes a little bit of a conversation to figure it out. There were some common misconceptions, right? Like the research had common, mis like it's very common that people might mistake it this way or that way. But when you address those based on the probabilities and you miss a student, um, that student still continues then with the math anxiety and the, like, I don't understand what's going on. and. Right. Why don't I get this? Everyone else seems to be getting it. So we're just perpetuating more of the same stuff. Whereas if you go speak with the student, you figure out, oh, you know what? It doesn't seem like you understand the idea of more. More is when you have more quantity, not more in area. Yeah. Then we can get the clarification exactly what we need. Yeah, it's, it's about identifying the misconceptions and addressing them. And that's something that teachers want to do, but it's so hard to do that with a large class of kids to do that, you know, the, with the same almost. fidelity for everyone. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so I, I know that a big part of this experience uh, of using this app is creating a support structure for the child's learning and to do that through both, uh, through coaching the parent and the teacher. And so can you talk about how that part works? Yeah. So, um, what we already had was like the idea of you know, like, what does the research say from a 
policy standpoint or a bureaucracy standpoint, however you want to look at it, on how do we teach these things in the classroom. But the delivery mechanism is through either continuing education or master's degrees or updating the education path for teachers. And so like, that's the whole thing is it becomes about the education of teachers and the education of parents as well, right? What is the best methodology for getting them these ideas? So like that training, what we did was we, we just added it to the system because we know where the student is because as they're playing the game, they're also then actually being evaluated because mm -hmm. when you answer the puzzle incorrectly, you're also demonstrating that like, I didn't completely get this or maybe I made a mistake. Not a big deal, right? They try several times. If they try too many times, our system alerts you. That video is there right there in the system. Basically, it is the teacher training for that subject matter that you would give to someone in a continuing education course, along with activities that you can do like just outside of our games, like you know, flashcards with war. Or maybe you want to play a board game because they got to roll the die, they got to identify the number, they got to produce that many spaces. So we're showing them like, here's how you can do it. And then really, hopefully what we're hoping is that they are able to take that out of our system and then apply it themselves, which is, I don't have Monopoly, but I got another board game or I got this other thing that I could modify mm -hmm. to being that. And then, and then that's us empowering the teacher to empower the child with math or empowering the parent to empower the child with math. For parents, we're included in the price now are two live sessions with a coach and tutor that'll help uh, like with anything in the system or help with any coaching that needs to happen if there's math anxiety or whatever, or even tutor the student, like you know, run them through the why method on the phone uh, that we teach uh, the parents so that like, um, the parent sees it happening and sees you know us doing it because like i think once they see it happen they're like oh, i could totally do that you know what i mean we've had parents come back like just watching the video and say you know what's amazing is you taught me how to teach my child mathematics and that that's been that's been phenomenal for me that's a life changer in itself yeah and and i mean teachers and parents i guess are always looking for for new ways for their kids to to learn so it's uh, it's nice to be able to provide some really effective ways that are also really engaging um, the, the appeal feels to me at least really obvious as a parent, um, also as a teacher, just in, in the way that it can evaluate the students. Um, and, and then especially for those who are behind in math, why is there, are there other features that a teacher would want in, in using this in a classroom? Like why, why would this be a great add to a classroom as opposed to, you know, other options? Well, so first of all, the placement exam is going to give the teacher a really good idea of what the child understands. So like if you're a third grade teacher and your student is testing into the first grade or second grade level, the six or seven year old elephant age level, then immediately you kind of know that like, well, trying to teach them multiplication is not going to be possible. You can't understand multiplication unless you understand addition. It's repetitive multiplications or it's repetitive addition, right? So like, so like, I mean, these things that are futile, become basically common sense pretty quickly mm. when you start addressing it from this from this angle but more than that now we're giving them a path to catch up so like if they continue within the system are they going to get all the curriculum items necessary for first grade probably not they already passed first grade i mean it is what it is at this point if mm -hmm. we could just get them to start participating now we don't lose that student yeah. but on top of that we've given the teacher the ability to go now work with that student one-on-one -on -one at that level so that 
the odds of them catching up are near 100 percent that's very impressive so if you're listening to this and you're interested you can go to elephantlearning.com or find elephant learning math academy on the app store for your device and it's really worth and i've looked at this it's really worth looking at the results even if you don't intend to purchase it it's really interesting um, and, and just amazing what aditya's company has managed to do Aditya, thanks so much for taking the time for this conversation. I really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing your, your thoughts on this, and, and I'm sure that our listeners have plenty to think about after they've heard this. So thank you so much for, for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, folks. So that's all for now. Thanks for learning with us. Did you enjoy this podcast? please consider leaving a rating or review wherever you found it. And I hope you'll also recommend it to your friends.